Hello and welcome to Hauntedly. Today we are visiting the last stop on my historic triangle series. We're going to Yorktown. I have four, I believe there are four places we're going to talk about. The first two are pretty short. The last two are a little more involved. And the last one, I wanted to keep this all historic, like colonial historic Yorktown. But one of the uh, locations is not on the list of colonial historic type places, but it was just, it has too many stories to pass up. I just wanted to preface by saying, I know one of them is not technically from the colonial history of Yorktown. Um, I am also leaving out several things, but I picked four things that I thought would be the most interesting ones to do today. We can always return another time. So without further ado, um, we are going to Yorktown. I am not going to give you the history of Yorktown for this one. Uh, just because I think I'm going to be running a little bit too long if I do that. But if you decide to go to Yorktown, it is a very cute little place to go downtown to Yorktown um, at the riverfront. It has um, some great places to go in. There's a really nice farmer's market on the weekends during this warmer months. It's a nice place to walk around. There's a little pub. There's uh, coffee, the Mobject. I think it's Mobject Bay Roasters. There's a coffee shop that's really nice. It's a really cool place, and there is at least one part of Yorktown where it's kind of like walking through what it would have looked like because all of the, the houses are what they would have been in colonial times. So if you want a taste of what it might have looked like, it's a good place to go. Plus, the battlefield is there. We're going to start at Cornwallis's Cave. That's what it's called. It's a very small cave. It's about 10 feet deep. It's tucked into some greenery at the base of the cliff. And the entrance is closed off with a metal gate. There's a marker nearby that kind of tells you what it is. According to legend, this is where Cornwallis and some of his men hold up to hide from shelling or to hide after they realize they'd lost their different versions of the legend. But the National Park Service says this is not true or extremely unlikely in any case. The only thing kept safe in the cave during colonial times was probably potatoes because it was used as potato storage. And maybe some of the people of Yorktown itself during the shelling took shelter here. In any case, we do know that after the war, it was expanded and used by smugglers to hide stolen goods in. So it's got that going for it. It was also in use during the Civil War as a Confederate munition storage. When you go visit now, there are notches carved into the stone next to the entrance. And those were used to put support beams in, and then they covered over those beams to sort of extend the front of the cave, and they covered it with turf and dirt to help protect the munition storage. If there are any ghostly happenings going on in the cave, generally speaking, they're all auditory. Voices whispering in the dark. Sometimes there's moans and screams. Maybe it's injured soldiers. Maybe it's a villager who was trapped. Maybe a smuggler. There's also some rumors that a satanic sect in the 70s used the cave for rituals, though that one seems a bit far-fetched and there's very little to support it. So if you visit the cave, keep an ear out. You never know, you might hear a voice from the past. I've been to Cornwallis's cave, and it's sort of anticlimactic when you get down there. It's a cave. It's not very big. Metal grate in front of it. Doesn't really feel spooky. It's just a cave. 
It's a fun place to walk to and then walk back. If you're touring the battlefield, keep an eye out for Surrender Field. Many battlefields around the country are haunted, and Yorktown is no different. Supposedly, at Surrender Field, when the British realized that they were not going to win the Battle of Yorktown, it was a huge blow for an army used to winning. The battlefield still carries the echoes of this defeat, with visitors to the park often hearing cannon fire, seeing men in colonial dress, and even hearing music playing. Some of the legends state that when the British realized they were losing, their musicians began playing a song called The World Turned Upside Down. For many professional soldiers, I'm sure that's how it would have seemed, so the song makes sense. Our third stop is the Thomas Nelson House. Thomas Nelson House, which is also called York Hall, sits on its own as a part of the National Park. It was built in 1730 and is, it's considered one of the finest examples of Georgian ar architecture in America. The Nelson family came from England and were important members in the area. Thomas Nelson Jr. was part of the Continental Congress and a brigadier general who commanded troops at the Siege of Yorktown. He did not die during the war. He would die six years later of an asthma attack, probably brought on by or exacerbated by issues uh, from being exposed to something on the battlefield. More importantly, perhaps, is that the house was used by Cornwallis and his officers as a headquarters and a place to hide from the shelling during the siege. Thomas Nelson, despite his love for his home, and he did love his home, made the difficult decision to order his men to fire upon the structure. It's even said that he offered a monetary reward for every shell that managed to hit his home. Many British soldiers were killed in the bombardment, and legend states that one soldier was on the staircase when a shell came through, spreading shrapnel with it. The man was struck down there on the stairs and died. Visitors and employees have reported cold spots on the staircase as well as creaking in footsteps when no one is there and doors that slam shut. That particular staircase is no longer accessible to the public. It's, it's part of the house that you can't get to on a tour. But at one point, people reported those things on those stairs and now they report them nearby. There have also been reports that someone or something plays with the lights, flipping them on and off, and they're attributed to this spirit as well. Outside the house, nearby, there were ruins found of another structure, and people have seen spirits in red coats darting between the trees as if dodging a barrage of cannon fire no one else can see. During the Civil War, the home served as a first a Confederate and then a Union hospital. By 1908, the house had fallen into disrepair and the Nelson family put it up for sale. In 1914, it was sold to Captain George Preston Blow, who made it a centerpiece of their larger property, which was called York Hall. It remained in their possession until it was purchased in 1968 by the National Park Service, who restored it to its original colonial state. It has seen some really amazing and some very brutal historical events, as well as being a beloved home for several generations of two different families. So it would only make sense for such a place to have a few spirits hanging around. Another one of those spirits is a young woman who stays on the third floor and who obviously grieves a heavy loss. Her sobbing echoes around the upstairs of the house. 
It may well be the death of the Civil War soldier who lingers in the attic, which was one of the places used to house patients. He fell in love with one of the nurses, and while they dreamed of being together, it was not meant to be. He succumbed to his injuries and left behind a broken-hearted nurse. He's still reportedly seen in the window of the attic, angry and covered in blood. The other spirits in the house appear to be transient. Different people in different styles of clothing spotted throughout the house. Perhaps they're visiting a place they loved in life or where a traumatic event took place. After all, Civil War hospitals were rarely places of calm and peace. Maybe they're just echoes of the past etched into the fabric of the walls. That would make sense as one of the things that is said to sometimes happen is a terrible stench. When the house was a Civil War hospital, it was said that the windows had to be left open 24-7 to help dispel the smell of resulting from gangrene and other illnesses and injuries. Moaning is often said to be heard as well. I can only imagine what the noise would have been like when it was a hospital. Moaning was probably the least disturbing of the noises. The Thomas Nelson House, I don't know that I have ever actually been inside. I have driven up and parked nearby and looked at it, and it is kind of, I've looked at it, and maybe it was the day I went was kind of a gloomy, overcast day, and I went towards evening. So that might have contributed to the feeling that it was a little bit creepy looking. Um, There are, I think that's the one that there is a cannonball, like, still embedded in the wall, which is kind of a cool thing to see. But if you've ever been on a tour inside the Thomas Nelson house, I would love to hear about whether or not you felt anything or saw anything. Because anywhere that's been a Civil War hospital, all I can think is that that would be an excellent reason to be haunted because that would not have been a good place to be for anyone, whether you were injured or treating somebody. And this story actually is not about a specific place. This one is from Reddit, from user suchwarning5507. And it's just about she lived in the colonial section of Yorktown, and it was a cool story. So I went ahead and asked if I could read it on the podcast, and she said yes. In 2008, I was about seven years old, and I lived in a house in Yorktown, Virginia. Yorktown is home to battles from both the Revolutionary and Civil Wars. The house I lived in was built in 1961 and had at least gone through three previous owners at this time. A couple times a week, I would have the same dream. The exact same thing would happen. It was from a first-person perspective. I would walk through the front door, yes, through the front door, go through the living room, and it almost felt like I was hovering just above the ground when I was moving. I would go through the living room, into the hallway, and then again go through a closed door to get to my room. Once in my room, it would stand over my bed for a second. Then I'd jolt awake every single time. This happened for years. Plus, there's the less common ones that I also have. One of them being in my dream, I would walk into the bathroom and see a sticker on the bathroom mirror that said, in this house, there are ghosts, ghouls, and... And before I could read the last word, I would wake up abruptly. This one happened at least a dozen times or so. The other one happened only a few times, but it would go like this. I would walk into the bathroom in my dream and I would close the door and then turn around to see this seven-foot shadow creature with black claws that would back me against the door before I would wake up. I stopped having the dreams as soon as we moved out. I've always been curious about why this happened or what it could have been. I'd appreciate any ideas, theories, or anything on this. 
So I have no suggestions really about what it might be. I would say some kind of shadow person or a ghost who is trying to make themselves known in some way, but it doesn't tell you what they want, I guess. Um, and I included this in Yorktown because the person says that it only happened in their house in Yorktown. And while the house was built in the 60s, again, Yorktown has seen a lot of battles. So I can't imagine that there might have been some negative energy where the house was built, maybe that was sort of attached to the land because of the things that happened. So if anybody has any theories, I would love to hear them. Our last place that we are going to stop is called Crawford Road, and it's actually a specific bridge on Crawford Road. When I was in college in Northern Virginia, I can remember a lot of local people talking about the Bunnyman Bridge in Annandale, and I thought at the time it was more than a little ridiculous. Crawford Road kind of reminds me of the things said about that bridge in, an app in Annandale. Not so much about a murderous psychopath in a bunny suit, but the rumors of what happened in and around the bridge. The difference is that Crawford Road actually has a body count attached. Crawford Road is like many creepy overpasses and bridges. It's in the middle of the woods. There's not much nearby, although lately there has been more development. And it's heavily graffitied. The stories involve many of the urban legend tropes that are so popular. Hangings and cars that won't start once turned off or that stop unexpectedly right under the bridge in the dark. Still, it's a creepy spot. Some of the specific legends about this bridge are that a bride was unhappy at the prospect of a forced marriage, and so she came out to the bridge, walked along the top in her wedding dress, and jumped off hanging herself. They say that she has been spotted by several people walking on top of the bridge, staring down at whoever approaches. Once you pass under the bridge, you'll see her start to jump, and then when you look back, she hasn't reached the ground, but is instead swaying in midair as though suspended from rope. One group of teenagers were driving beneath the bridge listening to a CD. When they drew up to the bridge, the CD soundtrack began to emit a high-pitched, terrifying shriek for about 10 seconds. Once they passed beneath, it stopped and the CD resumed. Later, once they were home, they played the track back and the noise was permanently embedded in the CD, but the CD had been perfectly fine when they began their trip. Anyone driving the car at night who decides to tempt the spirits and stop their car beneath the bridge may find that the car refuses to start or that it stops on its own, as well as the door locks opening and closing of their own accord. There have been rumors of KKK meetings at the bridge and of lynchings happening in the trees around it and on the bridge itself. While the bridge is not old enough for there to have been murders of slaves from it, and while none of these rumors has been proven to be true, the stories persist, and who can say what's actually happened in those trees in the past? What we can say for sure is that more than one murder has occurred here at the bridge. On January 29, 1990, Jimmy and Joyce Johnson drove out to a hotel in Newport News to meet a man interested in purchasing their car. Nothing about this meeting seemed untoward. They met the prospective buyer, J.C. Giles, at the hotel and found a respectable man in a wool coat and tie who seemed to like the car they were selling. J.C. agreed to pay $45,000 for their Mercedes, but wanted to be sure that his wife would like the car as well. 
Joyce and Jimmy saw nothing wrong with this, and Jimmy agreed to drive out and meet J.C. the following day. Joyce didn't go with him. It was the last time anyone saw Jimmy alive. His body was found on Crawford Road, legs taped together, his wrist handcuffed, and a bullet in his back when VDOT crews were clearing a downed tree. Around the same time, the body of Tanya Lane from Newport News was found on Crawford Road less than a half mile from where Jimmy Johnson had been found. For three years, the murders went unsolved. But the case then made an appearance on America's Most Wanted, and the police received over 50 tips after it aired. The tips led police to a man named Juanito Edwards, who was arrested and charged with Johnson's murder, and they wanted to try and charge him with Lane's murder. Tanya Lane had testified in a murder case against Juanito's brother in Baltimore, Maryland, and he probably wanted revenge. But while Edwards was sentenced to 22 years in prison, he was never convicted of Tanya's murder because they couldn't prove that the remains were hers. Other brutal murders have occurred on the road. In 1996, an airman named Eric Nesbitt was abducted at a convenience store in Newport News by two men. When he didn't have enough money in his wallet to appease them, they drove him to an ATM machine and forced him to withdraw more money. Once he'd done so, they drove to Crawford Road and shot him less than a mile away from the bridge. Then, in 2000, Sean Mabry was found beaten to death near the bridge. In 2016, Austin Baxley, a teenager from Portsmouth, was found shot to death near the bridge. While the killers in these cases were all caught and tried, the fact that the bridge has so many deaths associated with it is unnerving. It serves as the common thread among all these very different tragedies. In fact, only one death near the bridge is not considered to be suspicious. It was that of skeletal remains found nearby. It would seem that darkness seems to surround the structure, even if some of the legends seemed far-fetched. If you delve even deeper into the legends around the bridge, there are reports of Civil War soldiers marching over, a woman who threw her baby into the nearby river in a desperate attempt to flee the KKK members pursuing her. And in several cases, if you use a voice recorder and ask the right questions, you may just find an answer when you listen back to your recording. York County historian Frank Green is quoted in a Williamsburg Yorktown Daily article about the location as saying, You'd find people on the road ghost hunting or up to mischief, but I never saw anything I'd call a ghost, Green said. But we used to tell people if they kept hanging around down there, they'd become a ghost. With all the chilling real events, it seems that Crawford Road is perhaps a place better left alone. And I have a story from Reddit from username usedhotel5591. And he has a short story about Crawford Road. And it says, I'm a very strong believer in ghosts, and I love the topic of the paranormal. I most enjoy stories of ghost hauntings and demons, as I am a Christian and I want to fully understand this other world. In October 2020, on the day before Halloween, I was with my family taking a drive to haunted places in Virginia, and we decided to explore the Yorktown Bridge. It was said that a woman lost her children a long time ago, and she hung herself on this bridge. It is also the place of Satan worship and lots of demonic activity. I came here at 11 p.m. at night, and I was walking up and down the bridge in the pitch-black darkness with my stepdad, and he was just telling me stories. I looked over into the woods and up the trail before I saw two white eyes in the tree line, and two seconds after seeing these, they disappeared. 
I then saw a shadowy figure that was very tall, standing straight ahead of me. This made my heart stop right there, and I told my stepdad I was done for the night. I ran off, praying my heart out in fear. This isn't the first time I've encountered a demon or spirit before, and I will return back there again and maybe catch something on video this time. Crawford Road is one of those places I have never, if I have been, I don't remember. And I feel like if you um, go to the show notes page, you'll see a photo of the bridge. I, you can't miss if you've been there because it is literally covered in graffiti. Even the road is covered in graffiti. And I always wonder, you know, obviously the teenagers, I was a high school teacher for a very long time. And I can totally see it being the let's go out and go to the haunted bridge and see what happens. So... I get it, and there's always stories that come with that. But anywhere that's had that many bad things happen, it makes you wonder why they would choose there, other than the fact that it's out in the middle of nowhere and the fact that that was the common thread among all those different murders. I don't think I'll go visit at night anytime soon. I just, I don't, I don't feel like I need to go do that at all. But if you have and you've had some experiences, we'd love to hear about it. But I, I think maybe that's one. I'll just skip that. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and you've enjoyed our trip to the Historic Triangle and that you will subscribe, rate, and review hauntedly on whatever platform you use. The more reviews you leave, the more likely it is that people will find the podcast and listen to it. And if you enjoyed it, please, you know, recommend it to a friend or a family member who also may like it. It's the best way to help support a podcast you like, not just this one, but anyone. I would love to connect with anybody who is wanting to connect. And I am on Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, Reddit, you name it. I'm still trying to figure out Reddit, but I'm there. And you can find all the links to all the things on my website, which is hauntedlypodcast.com. If you have a story you want to share, you can visit the site or you can just email me at hauntedlypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for hanging out with me today. And I hope you have a spooktastic day. And remember, if one door opens when another door closes, your house is probably haunted. See you later.